Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, my guest is Linda Ostovitz, who is a partner with Offit Kerman. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Gary. I'm happy to be here. So, Linda, what made you decide to get into law? Well, you know, there's always somebody who influences us in our lives, right? And um, that strong influence came when I was a student at Kingsville Community College. And I had an instructor who was in charge of the violent crimes division of the state's attorney's office in Baltimore City. And he was just so passionate about his work. Um, and he sort of lit that passion in me that I wanted to be a prosecutor. So fortunately, um, I was able to intern in his office, even as a community college student. When I graduated from college, I went to law school with the goal of being a prosecutor like this man was. Um, and fortunately, I was able to fulfill that dream. So when I graduated from law school, I was hired as a prosecutor in the state's attorney's office in Howard County. Um, and I had worked myself into that office, into a job for about a year before I graduated from law school. So I was able to work my way into a job as an attorney there. Now, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, so, so I mean, obviously you're in private practice now. How did did that kind of go, and then why is it? That did you you know move over to private practice? Mm -hmm. So I I prosecuted for about ten years, and I really loved it. It was a real high being able to wear the white hat and um, you know try some serious felony cases, you know murders and rapes and robberies and so forth. And I I will tell you I very much enjoyed that. Um, but I got bored, um, not bored from trying those kind of cases, but bored because those trials became fewer and farther between, you know, people would come in and they would plead guilty and, and I just didn't have those trial opportunities was one reason. Um, and the other was financial. I would watch people come into my courtroom and charge a lot of money to their clients and plead them guilty or do a statement of facts. And I thought, eh, you know, this, this just didn't feel right to me. Right. Um, so I left the state's attorney's office and I did some criminal defense for a while. I would try death penalty cases, defend death penalty cases. But what happened, Gary, was uh, family law matters seemed to find me. There weren't a lot of women 41 years ago. Um, who were doing divorce work at a high level. And they, they kind of found me and I thought, well, you better learn how to do this and you better get good at it. Um, and that was really sort of the beginning of my um, my career in private practice. Huh. So, so, you know, obviously you've been doing this for, for a number of years now. What is it about that that, that has kept you passionate about it 
And, you know, when you, you know, when Linda gets up in the morning, it, it kind of has that, that fire in your belly still to, to do this. Well, I will tell you that um, uh, the answer is standards. It's, it's my own standards, my own internal standards that I feel the need to operate at a certain level. And if I don't operate at that level, I'm not satisfied. So I'm always sort of working against myself and my own standards, if you will, um, which is a good thing because my standards are pretty high. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, the nature of the work that I've done for so many years is very impactful. You know, in the divorce arena, I mean, can you imagine anything more significant than some stranger deciding whether you live in your house or not, whether yeah. you have custody of your children, what your access is, what happens to your money. Um, and then there's the whole financial element of all of it. So the stakes are very high and it's very easy. I will also say to get drawn into the personal aspects of it, which I view as a negative, you know, as soon as I, sort of get drawn into the emotional aspects of it. I lose my objectivity and my ability, frankly, to represent somebody even better. Um, so that's how I have approached it. And I've probably gone beyond the question that you asked me, Gary, but <laughs> there you go. Right. Now, do you, um, I mean, obviously, you know, th this isn't the best of times for people when when you're helping them. Um, do you try to counsel them even going into marriage about how to protect their assets or are you dealing more with them when I'm going to say when they're more in the crisis of going through the divorce? Well, I do both, but I will, I will say that as the years have gone by, the number of people uh, for whom I might do a prenuptial agreement have certainly increased over the years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of that is second marriage. And, you know, I was in a bad situation before. I don't want to have that again in the event that the marriage is not successful. But the other thing I think is just people becoming more aware of the realities of this life. And that is that, you know, people go into marriage hoping and assuming that it's going to be for the rest of their lives. But if you look around you, you see that that's not always the case. And even if an individual hasn't personally experienced, you know, a, a rough dissolution of a marriage, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who has. Right. So I think it's a, it's an awareness. Um, it's an, a much more educated population just because people are exposed to the the realities of divorcing families. And so they're more willing to say, okay, I don't want to do this. And this feels totally inconsistent with walking down that aisle. And it does. Right. But, you know, we should work out these challenges and these issues prior to walking down the aisles. So but if it doesn't work out, it's not a big fight. Yeah. I think that uh, I've helped, um, I've gone through it, but then I've also helped others, uh, mm -hmm. you know, through the process from, you know, the, the tax side of things, um, and then just trying to um, help them understand the, the ramifications. Obviously, in the past couple of years, we've had some some tax law change that has significantly impacted divorce and, and uh, support. 
when it comes to um you know looking at uh, divorce i mean you know it's kind of got that stigma that it's like okay then the 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 um this the wife uh is the one who gets the kids the wife's the one that gets the alimony and things like that and i think that 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 is also shifted too because of um you know the wives that are working and the income that they're making sometimes that changes also absolutely and again you know over a 40 year period of time there's been a tremendous shift and there is no question just from my personal experience that um there certainly was a preference that the mother's going to get custody and you know there's going to be alimony and so forth but life has changed right and you know, again, in the earlier years for me, it was not uncommon that, you know, the father was working and supporting the family financially and, you know, the wife, the wife was in the home and raising the children and keeping the house and all that kind of thing, which has changed a whole lot. You know, more often than not, I see two income families where you've got both parties contributing on sometimes all levels. So, you know, there's a lot more women in the workplace than there were previously. And there's a lot more involvement on the part of fathers in raising the children. So, you know, again, we're, we're oversimplifying here and making generalizations, sure. but the truth of the matter is that, you know, life as an intact family has changed dramatically over the years. And so in, in my experience, you know, I don't walk in a courtroom anymore with an assumption that, you know, a mother's going to win custody. I walk in anymore, um, all things being equal. And again, I have to keep cautioning and saying these are generalizations, but all things being equal, um, I think the courts now operate from the perspective of, unless you can show me a good reason why, you know, you probably should share the custody of your children. And, and you know, I, I feel like when I walk into a courtroom anymore, that's what the setting is. Unless you can show me why, this is the assumption from which I start, which has really changed over the years. And a lot of times, you know, the, the finding is that both parents are contributors, both financially and in terms of children. So there's a lot of shared custody that comes out of a courtroom now. Um, financially, you know, alimony is still alive and well in the state of Maryland. It's still on the books. It still gets awarded. The factors that a court looks at haven't really changed so much lately. Um, but certainly is educational background, the work history, that type of thing um, are, are factors which have certainly changed over the years because both parties generally have access to you know more income now than they did in the past. Um, and another thing I see a fair amount of lately is inheritance. And you know, people, you know, one spouse doesn't have any right to the other spouse's inheritance money. But when a court is looking at the issue of support or alimony, you know, the court's going to look at the entirety of that person's financial circumstances, which includes potentially a big inheritance. So I think it's much more of a clean slate when you walk into a courtroom nowadays than what it used to be. What, what have you seen along the lines you? I mean, you said that alimony is still alive and everything and, and totally understand that. But have you seen the the amounts warded 
change because of not having the deductibility of the 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 alimony and the other spouse not having to pay tax on it? Um, I can't say that I've seen a whole lot of difference in that, frankly. You know, even before the law changed, there's case law that that gave the court the authority to consider tax ramifications. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I don't know how much people argued it in the past, but that was there. It's still there. You know, we know obviously that alimony is not deductible um, and or reportable, you know, as it used to be in the past. But, but I still think that there is space in a court's consideration, utilizing, you know, the case law that exists to take all that into account. Um, but I will tell you, I haven't, I have not personally experienced differences in numbers because of that. Okay. That's, I think that that's something important for, for the listeners to, to understand is, is that, you know, even though that tax law has changed that, you know, going into it, that, that, um, you may still be paying the same amount of, of alimony you would have before uh, the tax laws change. So uh, that's important to know. Um, you know, touch on, um, you know, retirement assets. And, you know, again, there's bad professionals out there in all of our, all of our uh, fields. Um, can you touch a little bit on, you know, the division of, um, you know, retirement assets uh, with with individuals that have been married? Sure. Well, I guess we start from the perspective that if the retirement assets were earned during the marriage, they are marital property. And as such, they are subject to an equitable division in Maryland. Um, a lot of retirements that we see are a mixture. You know, if somebody has, <clears throat> excuse me, a long career, it may well be that they've earned some retirement money prior to the marriage. Um, that is that is to be segregated, if you will, identified values separate and apart from the marital portion. Um, I tell people that, again, all things being equal, um, and especially if you've got a marriage of any significant duration, and, and again, generally, people contributing to the well-being of the family, that it's likely going to be an equal division. Even though Maryland's not a 50-50 state, equitable often translates into 50-50 when it comes to retirements. Um, and of course, you know, if we have a, uh, a defined benefit plan um, that's handled with a qualified domestic relations order that, you know, sort of gets deliver now, if you will, but then sits until the person retires and, and the retirement amount is not set, but it's set pursuant to a formula. Mm -hmm. If we have a defined contribution plan, then that's a matter of saying, you know, at the date of divorce, what's the value of it? And how much of that value is going to go to each of the two spouses? And that's determined in a monetary fashion, if you will. Um, at the time of divorce. Sometimes, you know, there's also the capability on all these issues for people to do agreements. Um, you know, it, depending on what we're dealing with, if we're talking about a pension, sometimes we'll hire an expert to reduce it to present value. There's a cost associated with that. Um, people will oftentimes make agreements about how we're going to handle retirements. You keep yours, I'll keep mine. 
<clears throat> I will tell you it's a hot button issue um, for those in for those families that we might call more traditional, if you will, mm -hmm. where we've had a spouse in the home raising children and running a household, and we've had another spouse out working and earning this retirement who says, wait a minute, this is mine. <clears throat> I'm the one who traveled and worked and so forth and, and did all this. Um, of course, the explanation for that is the fact that you had a spouse at home raising your children and running your household enabled you to do that. Um, but sometimes that can be a tough pill to swallow right. in, in those um, scenarios that are, are maybe not as frequent that we see today. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when it comes along the, the lines of, um, of division of assets, um, I, you know, the kind of the argument that you just gave is, is what I hear a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I'm the one who's earned this money. I put this money away and so forth, um, you know, but there is the flip side of it that, you know, yes, you were able to do that because you had a spouse that was at home um, to be able to do that. Now, how much counseling do you do with uh, with your clients on, hey, should I, you know, forego getting the retirement and I get to keep the house and, you know, investment accounts and things like that? How much, um, you know, counseling do you do? Because I know lots of times that's when I'm brought in uh, to help with the situation also. A lot. You know, it depends on where people are situated. So if the circumstances are that, you know, we have a spouse who's in a in a nice home and in a good area and so forth, who's young, it might be that having that house is more important than a retirement account, which right. that person has 40 years to contribute to. Um, you know, if I have somebody who's perhaps more advanced in age, and who has been out of the workplace in particular, then I'm going to counsel that person that, you know, you may consider that that retirement piece is more valuable than the house is because you're not going to have time to get into the workforce and really fund a retirement uh, scenario. So it's very much, uh, I do a lot of counseling in that regard because you can't look at any one piece of this individually. Um, you know, sometimes we also have people who want the house, but they can't really afford it. Right. Um, you know, so I might be able to get somebody the house, but they're going to eat, you know, cereal for the next three years because the cost of afford of um of living there is more than than can be handled. So there really is a lot of counseling that goes into into all of this because every every piece is a moving part. Um, and you know what, for the most part, I'm dealing with really good people at the worst times of their lives mm -hmm. and judgment is affected, right. you know, it's the vantage point is very narrow sometimes. And I work hard to try to get people to, to play out what the future is going to look like. Um, and sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not, but, you know, my job is to make sure that people make informed decisions. I hope they make the right ones, but they're not my decisions to make. Uh, but I really do a lot of counseling and trying to explain options and what these things look like in real life. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it, it, it goes back to um, everybody's situation is a little bit different. 
And just because something worked for your next door neighbor doesn't mean that that's what's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important for people to understand that because I know from I'm constantly telling people from a, a tax perspective, you know, yes, that's, you know, your your next door neighbor may be paying less in taxes, but it could be for various different things. And the same thing would be um, in going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. If somebody is um, going getting ready to go through a divorce, what advice would you have for them and picking counsel to help them through the divorce? Well, the first thing I would say is do pick counsel. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there. There's a lot of stuff out there on the internet. There are a lot of people who think they can do it themselves. Right. And this isn't quite as self-serving as it sounds. Um, and I will just make reference to one matter that I know my fees were a hundred thousand dollars where people had done an agreement because they thought they could handle it themselves. It was a long, long stretched out litigation. I am satisfied that the judge's decision didn't bear any relationship to what either of these people intended when they wrote this document. So it's an investment that's worthwhile because whatever decision gets made, it's going to be there forever. Um, but to answer your question, I think it's important to listen to what other people have to say and not just one person. Um, you know, if you get a recommendation from somebody that was good, I might value that. But, you know, go meet with people. You know, go talk to an attorney. I, I would not necessarily advise somebody to open the phone book i'm dating myself obviously and go down everybody you know in howard county which is where i work i would do some sort of research in your community about does anyone know this individual or that individual and have a consultation uh, you get to have some sense of how the person operates and whether or not it's going to be a good fit the other thing is most people in this life are fortunate enough to have trusted advisors. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you certainly deal with lawyers. And if you made a recommendation of one of your clients, my suspicion is they would value that represent that um, recommendation. Right. Just like I make recommendations to my client for, you know, business valuators and, uh, you know, real estate agents and accountants and everything else. So think you have to do your homework, um, have that meeting, uh, be confident about what the reputation is, because, you know, there are lawyers out there who will make things worse. They right. absolutely will make them worse. And individuals who they've represented previously would probably share that with anybody who asked that question. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important also that, that, you know, attorneys have different fields that they're that they are experts in. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to make sure that that you are picking somebody that um, that their primary um, specialty is divorce, um, because, again, you're going to know the ins and outs and, and, and things that are going on. You're going to know the court system. Uh, you know, where you practice and things like that, which I always think think is important. Um, because again, if you go to that person that's a jack of all trades, then they may not be as up with what the laws are and what's going on now. Um, and and it, it can 
you know, bite you in the backside in, in the long run. Um, Cause I've definitely have seen that. And I, and I always tell people, it's like, you know, it's well worth the investment upfront than paying, paying it later on, because when you pay it later on, it ends up costing you a lot more for sure. Absolutely. And you know what? I took that for granted, Gary, which is why I didn't even say it. Uh, but I certainly have people come to me over the years to try to fix something that was botched, quite frankly, by someone who didn't know what they were doing. And that's harder to fix a mistake than it is to do it right the first time. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Time's flown by quick here. Wow. Uh, we we could we I'm sure we could talk about this for for hours more. Um, what have I not asked you that you wish I had? Well, I guess the thing that I would other say to people uh, also say to people is there's two ways to get a resolution. One is by way of an agreement, and the other is by litigation. Um, an agreement is far more cost effective. Uh, it enables you, hopefully, to lead a civilized life with each other, especially if you have children. It enables you to maintain control over the most important decisions of your life, like what I mentioned earlier. Whereas litigation is more expensive, everything bad one has to say about the other may well come out in a courtroom. You can never take that back. Yeah. If you have children, you're going to be in each, life, each other's lives forever, and it's going to be harder once that adversarial situation has fired up even more. So what I would say is that if there is the wherewithal to work it out with, with the benefit of counsel, and I really do mean that, um, that's something that people should consider before uh, you know that full tilt of going into a courtroom to fight it out and then have a stranger make a decision that you have to live with. Right. So, Linda, if people like what they hear and they would like to talk to you more, I know that you have uh, different educational programs uh, mm -hmm. that you do. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, on the first Thursday of each month, I do a breakfast bar series. It's from 730 to 830 in the morning. It's virtual. And what I do is I invite more often than not an attorney from my firm, which is a full service firm um, off at Kerman. And I have attorneys talk about various subjects. The goal is to educate my listeners. The goal is to let people know who we are and what we do. We have 20 offices. We're from New York to South Carolina. And on December 1st, we'll be in LA. We'll have our first office in, on the West Coast. Uh, but that's educational. There's no cost to do it. I ask you to register, but every month you get a subject. Um, and an education about something perhaps you didn't know about. There's the opportunity to ask questions. I share the slide deck with individuals after the fact. Um, and that's something I've been doing for years and, and have, been, um, have always gotten really good, good commentary because I don't ask for anything. I just am there to share information. Um, so that's one way in which I regularly share, if you will. Um, now, how can they find how how can someone find that and register if they want to? Yeah, so you can go to our website off at Kerman.com. I have a page there, Linda Ostovitz. Um, my seminars are listed there. I call them seminars. Um, you can pop one and register for that. And once you do, 
you get an email every month about what's coming and, and a link to register. Great. Now, if, if somebody besides the education, if somebody wants to reach out to you, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're going through a divorce or, or, or child custody issue, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So um, I'm going to say email is a good start. L. Ostevitz at offitkerman.com or you can call 301-575-0381. And the third item is if you go to offitkerman.com, that's our website. You can look for me by name, Linda Ostevitz. You can look for me by services under family law and either of those ways you will get to me, my bio, my email link and my phone number. Great. Linda, I really appreciate your time today. I think that that you've given our listeners a lot to think about um, and, and to be able to help be prepared if, if this is something that they need to, uh, a road that they need to go down with uh, with their spouse. So thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed our conversation. If there's anyone out there who needs my help or the help of a full service law, uh, law firm, please don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Our guest this week was Linda Ostevitz, and she is a partner with Offit Kerman. I will see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>